everybody, and welcome back to Aligning America. I'm your host, Vincent Miller, and let's get right into things. So our first story today is going to be Schumer versus McConnell. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has now taken over the position from Senator Mitch McConnell, very famously holding the Republican majority for, uh, I believe, two terms now. He has been and still is the longest running uh, senator to ever have consecutive terms, one after another. I believe he's been in the Senate for 40 years, very famous, needs no introduction. However, he's gotten one. He is demanded, Mitch McConnell had demanded that the filibuster be in play for the duration of the 50-50 Senate, uh, which upends the standard set and the president reaffirmed during the 2001 Senate, the last time that there was a 50-50 split in the Senate. So this standard was that the filibuster would not be employed as the 50-50 Senate should self-regulate, though Mitch McConnell now has demanded that the filibuster be in play and not be touched no matter what, as the Democrats, some Democrats anyways, have vowed to remove the filibuster as it is simply a tool for obstructing agendas on both sides and is no longer a prominent nor effective political tool in the Senate or Congress uh, and is simply stifling government institutions. So the argument there is pretty strong, and I agree that the filibuster has now been transmogrified into something that is 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 nothing like its original intention. Its intention was originally for continued debate, not just stalling and stopping, quite frankly, which is what it is used and has been used for the past 30 years now. Very famously, it's been used a few times, a few cases in history for what I would consider great benefit. However, these are by far and away the minority. And as well as that, it's been many decades since we've seen a true and at least moral case represented for the use of the filibuster. These were usually in in times of either great social struggle or strife, like uh, very famously in the 40s, there was a filibuster against a anti-wartime bill where they were pro uh, non-intervention in World War II. And then someone filibustered that to make sure that there was uh, intervention, at least at some some levels, uh, especially regarding Lend-Lease. So, yes, the filibuster has existed in the history. However, the Democrats have now moved, much like the Electoral College, there are a number of archaic systems that the Democrats wish to remove to be more representative and more democratic throughout the entirety of the process. And uh, Mitch McConnell, of course, demanded that it would not be touched, would not be removed, because he intends to use it to stifle Democratic plans on any legislation for the next four years in order to torpedo Democratic re-election rate, uh, which is, of course, politically savvy, however, uh, not necessarily the uh, most moral nor efficient way for the government to run. So Schumer, of course, goes on air just this morning on Monday, the 25th, uh, January 25th. Schumer was quoted on air with Rachel Maddow uh, during an hour-long interview uh, as being able to deal with Mitch McConnell. He had things up his sleeve, quote unquote. And when asked to uh, elaborate on what he might be able to do to remove Mitch McConnell as a factor in this argument, he told Rachel Maddow that he couldn't tell her, which is a little bit strange and a little bit of performative theater, in my opinion. I can't imagine it's something he truly couldn't tell her or tell the American people. However, just after that segment had aired in some little quirk of fate, Mitch McConnell did indeed fold on the filibuster, paving the way for Senate appointments on the Democratic side uh, as they were able to assume their position once this deal had broken down. And the filibuster is now no longer necessarily safeguarded. So the Democrats have a lot of leverage here and a lot of unbegotten leverage that I'm not sure they were expecting, because unless there truly is something in uh, Mr. Schumer's back pocket, I can't imagine that they had expected it to go this well. However, here they are. 
so once again, and it's been brought up before and I'll bring it up again. The fact is that Democrats and Republicans love to play party politics and say, oh, we couldn't get it done because of the Republicans. And that's how you write. You raise money against Mitch McConnell and you run candidates that purposely will not beat Mitch McConnell or have a chance against Mitch McConnell. Because if you do that, you garner so much more money, so much more funds, which, of course, circulates within the DNC or RNC, depending on who you are mad at right now. And the system continues. Nothing changes. And the people on the top stay at the top. That's how America has progressed. And that's where we are right now and have been for the past 20 some odd years. So with that in mind, this level of free reign on an actual agenda, this level of control in the Senate with free reign over the filibuster and with Biden, you know, holding both houses, he has theoretically, at least full clearance for any agenda that he wants. Of course, the Republicans could try and stop him in the Senate, and I'm sure they will. They'll mobilize to at least slow him down. However, there is no real excuse for the Democrats this time. And that's bad for them because I can't guarantee that they truly want to do all the things they promised to do. That's just how these politics go. So with Biden moving forward very heavily, as we talked about last week with his executive orders moving forward with what ended up being about 16 executive orders, most of them retracting executive orders that Donald Trump had put into place. However, some of them, like the Keystone Pipeline, were actually performative. They were performative measures, but they were substantial, at least. These changes are now just the beginning, or at least plausibly, they're just the beginning, as the Democrats have full reign. Though, of course, it remains to be seen what they will actually do with their position of power. Lord knows they've loved to pretend before, and we saw with 2008 and 2012 that there's a lot of hope and change until there isn't. And granted, again, there was Republican interference in the Senate during Obama's both of his terms, though recall that Obama had a full Senate and Congress and executive branch by his side. And in fact, he even had the judicial branch stocked up with him, though that remains to be Biden's only challenge, of course, though, as we'll talk about a little bit further, the Republican justices on the Supreme Court seem to be siding a lot more with the Democrats than they are Republicans these days with regards to at least a few cases. And it proves to be shaking out in a rather poor way for Republicans. So those results on a few cases that are currently out right now, I'm sure we will end up talking about even more so than in passing, though I will wait on those results to get into it now, as quite honestly, I could talk about the whole show about what's going on in the Supreme Court, the few cases that they're looking at, especially regarding insurrection and Donald Trump, one they just threw out, which of course goes into his favor. But there are a number of cases still pending that he might be in trouble for. So if those ever come to light, if those ever come through and through fruition, uh, I'm sure we will end up talking about them at that time. And our next story today is going to be about Donald Trump's impeachment. Now, yes, he is a private citizen. As of Joe Biden's inauguration, Donald Trump is no longer the president. Big shock. I know a lot of QAnon supporters would disagree. However, that aside... Donald Trump is now being impeached as a private citizen, which holds and serves only one goal, that being to specifically propagate the end of Donald Trump's political ambitions and to end any ambitions he has to move forward again with himself in public office. This quite literally only really abides to one thing. They do not want Donald Trump running again in 2024. That is their nightmare and that is their end goal right now. They are ending that as you know, before it can even get started, the Democrats want to remove the precedent of people like Donald Trump becoming president and then getting away with it. This is their goal, of course. 
Democrats somewhat assumed that uh, they would all support it, and they are, though Republican support for it is less vocal while still being palpable. There is still a number of Republicans. Mitt Romney famously dislikes Donald Trump. We know he voted already once for impeachment. I'm sure he would do it again with the evidence provided through the insurrection, the many trials that are pointing to people claiming that Donald Trump had incited it. They were only doing it because Donald Trump invited them. These are bad, bad, bad cases for Donald Trump because all they do is is paint a, a larger court case against Donald uh, with boundless evidence, thousands of people testifying with the same excuse. It's not great for Trump. So there are a lot of Republicans sort of being forced through, even when some are now admitting that there is no longer any fraud, that yes, Donald Trump lost. They're backpedaling on a number of those talking points now that they've realized Donald Trump is not going to be president again. It is no longer the general feeling that is it is no longer that Donald Trump has a chance anymore. And the Republicans are slowly giving out. The Republicans are slowly shifting their messaging to be more open to a moderate Republican Party. You see many calls for unity coming out of this impeachment trial. Many people saying, oh, by golly, just you can impeach him or remove him, but you got to pardon him like you did with Nixon. But there's a huge difference here. Uh, Donald Trump, one, has already been impeached. I can't imagine if they're not going to pardon him then, they're not going to pardon him now. And two, Biden is is no longer receiving. The polls show that, that Biden, it would not be popular for him to pardon Donald Trump. The polls show that people want to see Donald Trump. And as we'll talk about in just a little bit about more of the consequences from this insurrection, or at least insurrection and attempt, there are a number of polls showing plummeting approval ratings for politicians who were involved there, specifically Josh Hawley, as we'll get to in just a little bit. But as returning to the impeachment trial, there's little headway as proceedings were stalled by Mitch McConnell and Schumer's continued standoff over the filibuster in the 50-50 Senate, though now that that is dissolved, we can only expect more results going in, more impeachment trials, maybe even some genuine interviews, uh, some actual witnesses being called to the stand, though I can't imagine they will. I don't see the reason to. They don't need to, as I'm sure with the Democratic at least half majority, semi-majority, there really is no reason to stall it out any longer. They could push through it within a week and we could see Donald Trump's impeachment and, and promised removal approved in the Senate, which would then mean that he can no longer run for public office or hold public office which, of course, would stifle his plans as, again, we'll get into in just a little bit. He has been making great strides in his own personal world of politics as he is attempting to reestablish himself as a third party sort of entity. Even if he himself won't run, he is definitely set up to propagate more Trumpian populist uh, MAGA party beliefs across the nation in places where he could run against Republicans who have previously stymied him as the president. So, as again, we'll talk about it in just a second, but the, the headway in the proceedings will continue as the new Senate is confirming positions right now. Uh, after that is done, we can only anticipate what I what I am guessing just here and now uh, impeachment and permanent removal from office for the 45th president of the United States. Moving on to the previously mentioned consequences of January 6th, the great fake insurrection. Josh Hawley, Republican superstar, young Republican showman, uh, he faces plummeting approval ratings, dropping 9% in a week, consistently showing a net approval of below 35%, which is truly abysmal for a senator who had many, many great plans. You see uh, billboards with him with the Hitler mustache all across his own state. 
Uh, you see his constituents claiming that he is no longer representing him. You got to not feel bad for him, but you do got to at least empathize and, and feel the the fear and sadness and, and destitution in the man's heart because he screwed up beyond belief with this move. This political move is going to cost him his career, no doubt, as I can't imagine. There's no way. It's much like Back with the special Republican election in Alabama with Roy Moore versus Doug, you saw Roy Moore lose because, well, he's a uh, an outed pedophile and an outed child molester. That's a bad move, as I think most people would come to agree with in politics. That's a pretty bad move. Much like that. Now, I'm not going to call both these things same, though they're apples and oranges of the same color. Josh Hawley's move to incite insurrectionists and to go out and be performative in front of the rioters in front of the Capitol, it was an awful move. Much like the Roy Moore situation, I can see him losing in a red state. I could see him losing to a blue senator to replace him, which would be a devastating blow to the Republicans as they need every seat they have right now with the Democrats, of course, gaining in popularity and the polls are showing it with approval anyways. Uh, Joe Biden hitting such numbers as 60 to 65. I mean, it's a Granted, it's the honeymoon phase, but it's a pretty good space to start off, especially compared to Donald Trump, who entered office with some 49, 50 percent. It wasn't a good place for him. Now, Josh Hawley, being a senator who is attempting to be more populist, to be more bipartisan. And when I say that, not in a good way, of course, he's not trying to reach across the aisle and come to an agreement. However, he's pulling on ideologies from across the spectrum. He was one of the ones to call for recurring checks. He was trying to outflank some Democrats to the left while staying true to the gun rights and pro-life agenda of the Republicans. It was a clever and pretty solid political strategy, in my opinion. However, now he's royally screwed it up. The torpedoes hit the boat and everyone is is trying to get off because Josh Hawley is nowhere to move. He's dead in the water. The minute the the next boat shows up, I, I hope he well, I don't hope he gets away, but I'm sure he does because it's a bad spot to be in. And quite honestly, there's a lot of upheaval in in Southern politics today because not only was that a direct hit to Josh Hawley because of his involvement in the six, we can move on to Donald Trump, who, of course, was indirectly and somewhat, of course, directly through this story, indirectly affected by what happened on the six. Donald Trump, of course, now no longer the president of the United States, however, is still remaining, vowing to remain active in politics as the at least ideological thought leader of the Republican right of the Republican MAGA party, which he continues to propagate. And Republicans like Josh Hawley, Republicans like Ben Sass, these people are agreeing with him. These people are still trying to be sycophantic to earn his supporters loyalty. It's a somewhat nuanced political strategy. But Donald Trump, as of now, uh, is still moving on with these these ideologies and, and attempting to be in the forefront of American politics as he established the office of the former president in Florida, which is a private organization which is committed to stay involved in politics and endorse candidates across the United States to go against both Republicans and Democrats. Republicans, of course, majority, anyways, the ones he didn't like, the ones who refused to help him, the ones who refused to support him. Democrats, of course, are free game anyways. But his first endorsement is going to be Sarah Huckabee Sanders, a name I hadn't heard in a minute. She was, of course, at one time his press secretary uh, and is now in the race, announced today her uh, position in the race for the governor of Arkansas. This, of course, being not necessarily a nationally profiled race, as it's not necessarily a state that is often 
talked about in the national media, though not to say it doesn't have implications. Of course, Donald Trump's endorsement of her kind of stands as a bellwether if she can pull it off with, I think, her father having previously been one of the uh, the governors of Arkansas. If she can pull it off, it'll at least prove to some people the legitimacy of Donald Trump's continuing political legacy and political impact on the sociosphere. So it's really kind of one of those things where he's making a bet on a pretty sure thing. And if it pays off, I'm sure he'll get more credit for it than he deserves. And that's the political gambit he's playing. Though, of course, if this goes wrong and there's a small chance that it does, then Donald Trump, at least to start off with, is in a really weak position. It's not great for your political endorsement to just fall flat, especially when it's someone on a national profile. So how would she lose it? Well, Ricky Dale Harrington Jr., is a libertarian candidate who ran against a senator. I I can't remember who at the time, but he ran against a senator back during the primaries as a libertarian candidate, which, of course, is is the most populous third party. However, is not necessarily a national player. It usually is not. You see people like uh, Representative Amash who switched to libertarian midway through their term, though no one has won on that party's record in a long time. Uh, though he raised a a shocking 20% in the primaries, which was almost, I mean, you know, in a a scattered field, had he not been the only one really running against the Republican, it could have theoretically at least been a pretty, pretty tight race and then he could have won. So, of course, as as a very popular figure now, at least in Arkansas politics and with somewhat of a national profile, I'm not saying he will win, though his announcement today does seem to me that he is at least angling. Of course, he wouldn't launch if he didn't think he could accomplish something if it wasn't, you know, not necessarily just furthering name recognition, but possibly winning or at least getting concessions from Huckabee Sanders. Uh, There is, of course, a national now following for him for donations, and I'm sure he will be rolling in it uh, as soon as this campaign really kicks off. And especially against a divisive person being backed by an even more divisive former president, Uh, He has a chance. So one of those states you don't hear a whole lot about. It's interesting to see Arkansas really heating up on the national stage, though, of course, all of this remains to be seen. This race ends in 2022. So we've got a long time. Don't even want to think to what's going on then. But uh, that race is certainly one to keep your eyes on. It's an interesting one at that. And our final story today is going to be a quick follow up. On Alexei Navalny, uh, he, of course, is the opposition leader, garnering 30% of the vote against Russian President Vladimir Putin in the last election. He had previously been poisoned by a neurotoxin, only barely surviving and then escaping to Germany for hospice care, receiving it, and then five months later returning to Russia, only to be promptly arrested as he stepped off the train. This wasn't surprising, of course, as Vladimir Putin had openly had it out for him. People knew this was a state-sponsored attack, and it wasn't really veiled at all, as Vladimir Putin has no reason to veil it, as his approval ratings still remain relatively high as uh, a politician in the Russian Federation that really is the only one with any palpable name recognition and remains reactionary to at least some applause and especially the conservative circles of the Russian Federation. And of course, uh, as soon as Alexei Navalny had been arrested, uh, you saw a number of large scale protests begin uh, as Russian citizens demanded the opposition leaders release. There were multiple countries, including the United States, that called for his immediate release. And there was the idea of floating the Nobel Peace Prize for Navalny and his honorary actions of of peace, prosperity, and promotion of democracy across the globe. 
This, of course, I think will not actually go through, though it does somewhat ensure his safety as much like the murder of Jamal Khashoggi two years ago in Turkey. Jamal Khashoggi, if you don't remember, was the journalist from Saudi Arabia who was murdered in Turkey, who was uh, writing government articles, articles about the government that that were really uh, anti-government and specifically against the crown family. Uh, this earned him the right of being sawed up by bone saws, put into a bag, and then remains buried, removed, burned. Nobody knows. However, this story was not necessarily being spectated by the international media until after his death. Though now, with all eyes on Russia, all eyes on the Russian Federation, and especially Putin's treatment of Alexei Navalny, I think the best thing that could happen would be Putin's release of Alexei and then having him either stay in the country or I think preferably for his safety, be moved out of the country to lead the opposition from there. Though the optics, of course, would be that he is a foreign state sponsored uh, opposition party, which would probably devalue his legitimacy and paint a darker picture for him in national politics, though staying there cannot be safe. As we've already seen, he was openly poisoned by a neurotoxin, which sounds like something out of a James Bond film. I mean, as incredibly hardcore as it sounds, not only did he survive, but he, you know, as soon as he was released, he went back to the country, uh, which takes a lot of guts and you've got to hand it to the guy. That's quite the move. Uh, he did not want to appear as a foreign state sponsored politician and went directly back home, though, of course, now he's landed himself in a lot of trouble, though, with the international eyes all looking upon him, I can't imagine he would be openly executed. The best thing, of course, I think, as previously stated, would be Putin lets him go. And then probably a number of scandals that are either false or falsified would be brought against him and he would be brought down in national politics. That's my guess. That's how Putin's famously handed political opponents before, though, again, it all remains to be seen. I will continue on the story because I find it not only interesting uh, and, and quite honestly, a little bit surreal, but it's a tense sociopolitical intervention of sorts. This really this challenge on a national level to the Russian status quo, as, of course, the government in Russia has been quagmired for quite some time in an anti-American, anti-Western, anti-NATO uh, situation. The idea that someone like Alexei Navalny could possibly, possibly at least plant the seeds to a change in that government, to a revitalization of Russian democracy, you could see a new world stage geopolitical power that's aligned with NATO and the United States against China, uh, against North Korea. There would be a number of problems for both of those countries following a realignment for NATO, for the United States, for democracy in Russia, uh, as they still remain one of the largest militaries on the planet and one of the largest geopolitical producers of oil, which, of course, is an ever-present, ever-important resource in the 21st century, which we will remain to see whether or not these changes could come about or if Russia will continue uh, with Vladimir Putin's handpicked successor, who has not yet, of course, been revealed, though it will most likely be someone from his close circle as of now. And we will see, of course. Uh, so I will continue updating this story as it's sort of a pet story that I find really interesting. And I hope you do too, as I think it might be more impactful than a lot of people realize or a lot of people think. Thank you for listening through to the end. We'd really appreciate it if you check us out at Aligning America on Instagram and Twitter. And if you really enjoyed it and want more content like this, be sure to head over to our Patreon to ensure we can keep putting out episodes, changing hearts and minds one podcast at a time. Thank you.